Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It is our final recap and preview of the regular season as we recap the game Carolina played this weekend against Western Carolina and then turn our focus to an extremely important game against the Miami Hurricanes that will come up this Saturday. But as we mentioned, we'll start by talking about Senior Day in Chapel Hill, Carolina said goodbye to 16 seniors, 14 of which were available to play in the game against the Catamounts, and all 14 saw action in the game where Carolina had really no trouble with Western Carolina. 49-9, to the final score against the Catamounts, as the Tar Heels beat the Catamounts for the third time in four years, all games coming in Chapel Hill. And, you know, this was a game that you were uh, expecting a little bit of a bigger margin. You uh, went on record saying you wanted 56 in the first half yeah. and 70 total. Yeah. Not quite the uh, quite meeting the expectations, uh, but still a game that Carolina came in, did what they had to do, get away with a win, you know, had a little bit of time to get some other guys healthy and uh, ultimately gave you a, a little bit of a look into the future as well. Yeah, they did what they needed to do, which was win and not get anyone hurt. And I think that was the thing was once the game got out of hand in the mid first quarter, it was, okay, how long are we going to leave the starters in? And he left them in until about the end of the first half. And then we, we saw the, the future of what Carolina football is going to be in that second half. Um, it wasn't the sharpest performance by any means on the, uh, on, on the defensive side of the ball to start the game. They yep. kind of came out a little lackadaisical. Um, and Mac Brown even addressed it. He said that when going into halftime, he thought they weren't ready to play when the game started. Um, which was kind of dis- uh, discouraging considering that this game, you know, you, 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 there was no reason to not be ready to get your final game at home, stuff like that. But they, 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 they took care of business. Most importantly from this game, the offense got back. Mm-hmm. And that was the big thing that Notre Dame did to them a week ago was they took them out of rhythm. This offense looked as good as it's looked really all year long. Sam Howell had all time to make passes in the passing game. They ran the ball as well as they've had, you know, this year. So it was a, a good way to close the home slate, Carolina 5-1 at home, um, which was really good because last year they lost a lot of games at home, which you don't like seeing. 
Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, this was, you know, that you were right about that, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Team wasn't really ready to go out of the gate. Part of that is probably because of the opponent that was on the other side, but that's something that they've got to get ironed out because that's something that we've seen be a problem over the last two years when we've played certain opponents. That was one of the big issues against Florida State. Same thing against Virginia. Uh, they just really didn't feel like it had a big game feel, and they ended up uh, letting up some points early on. Western Carolina, you got away with some things because of the talent differential. There were a couple drop passes that would have allowed Western Carolina to gain even more momentum early in the game. But I think the biggest concern that came out of that on the defensive side of the football was your defensive line that once again had some trouble getting push up front early on. As the game went along, they were able to wear down Western Carolina's offensive line. But there was a point early on where Western Carolina was hanging with Carolina in the trenches. You had some trouble filling gaps, which allowed some big runs. Uh, you know, on the on the second level. So Carolina has got to get those things ironed out, especially before they go and take on a Miami team that is one of the big nation's best at running the football both with and without their quarterback. Yeah, I think, you know, we talked about after the Notre Dame, after the Notre Dame game, whereas Coral Carolina has to get better. And I think Western Carolina even maybe emphasized it even more because you couldn't push around an FCS school like you should have, mm-hmm. which really shows you where the weakest part of your program is right now. It is up front, mainly on the on the defensive line, but also among the offensive line as well. So um, I, I think that's the good thing about these games. You still get to learn about yourself a little bit. You kind of learn about a lot about themselves in the first half on Saturday. Even though they were up 42 to three at halftime, you still learned where you got to get better um, moving forward. So, um, but yeah, it was it was a really discouraging start to, to begin with. But you got to like the way that the young guys responded. And they didn't allow for a lot of big plays in that second half. Yeah, definitely. On the defensive side of the football, the young guys really played well. Uh, you saw, uh, you know, some guys that didn't rotate in as much to, throughout the year, like Eugene Asante, a linebacker who had a nice day. Giovanni Biggers at safety almost came up with his second, second interception of the season. Um, so those guys really played well. But you also saw some reps for the guys that we've started seeing in the last few weeks, and they got increased reps, which could help them down the stretch of the season. Claude Pinder saw a little bit of a bigger role in this one. Miles Murphy handled a pretty decent amount of snaps. Des Evans played, you know, some some people regard it as one of his best games of the season. Chris Collins saw a lot of time. So that's the thing that's encouraging is you're getting to see a lot of these young guys again. And then again, a FCS opponent, but once again, Tony Grimes, second career start, and he looked fantastic on the outside, allowing just one catch the entire day. Yeah, no, the, the youthful part of Carolina's defense, you still lead this game in Kurt about, which is a really good thing because they're all going to have to be – they're all going to have big roles next season, and they need to play to their talent level and their yep. expectations. Once you lose, you're losing Chancellor, right? You're losing some guys in the secondary. You're losing, you know, Timon Fox, some of those guys. And so you need these guys that you're grooming that fit the scheme better than the guys that are playing on the field right now. Yeah. They, you're grooming them to be impact, uh, impactful players next year, and you're seeing glimpses of that, which is a, a good sign. So we'll see if that carries over this week into what may be this defense's toughest test of the season with Miami. Well, hopefully the offense is in enough of a rhythm. I mean, how could they not be? What a fantastic performance in the first half from Carolina's offense. Michael Porter finds the end zone three times. You have Sam Howell throw two touchdowns as well. Fantastic day for him. This offense just looked like it was back in a rhythm. And again, one of the big reasons that this offense has been as successful as it has down the stretch of the season is because a guy that was struggling earlier in the year in Daz Newsom has gotten it together. Another big game in this one for Carolina, the third straight game where he leads Carolina in receiving. 
Yeah. Um, I, I think that's a really good point that his season has kind of taken off towards the end of the season like it did last year. Mm-hmm. And it's a big reason why when Carolina's on, why he is such a big part of this offense and why, you know, he was getting the kind of looks he was getting early in the season from the opposing defenses. Um, Sam Howell looked as, you know, efficient as he's looked in his entire target career, made all the throws that you expect him to make. It still started with the running game. This week it was Michael Carter, eight, catch, eight rushes, 73 yards, and three touchdowns. Javante Williams had a, a, a more quiet game, only three carries, only eight yards, but found the end zone once again. But they still set the tone with their running game early. They built you – know, but I think they went into the game wanting to have more – wanting to pass the ball more because that yeah. was – that's what you yeah. lost against Notre Dame was that once you had to throw the football, you couldn't throw the football. They have never been in that situation with Sam Howell. That happened – against the Fighting Irish. So I think there was more of an emphasis to be a pass-first team in this game, which made a lot of sense, and they got the results they wanted to with a, a good passing day for Sam Howell and a good receiving day for Daz Newsom and the other receivers. Yeah, spread the ball around a lot as well. Antone Green, first catch of the season, gets his first touchdown of the season on that play as well. Got to see Garrett Walston a little more involved in the offense for Carolina as well as some of the major guys. Uh, didn't have a great game, but De'Ami Brown once again Another solid day as he closes it on a thousand yards uh, for the season. So uh, Carolina hoping that their uh, not their passing offense is in rhythm. Their rushing offense is uh, able to uh, sort of get themselves going again at the level that they were earlier in the year. And uh, you know both of those guys have had tremendous seasons. There's a possibility that both guys could leave at the end of the year. So one of the big things that people were focused on when the backups came in in this game were the performances of the four running backs that will be competing for reps in the offseason of course you'll also include Kamaro Edmonds four-star running back in the 2021 class as well as more than likely the position that he'll end up at Caleb Hood uh the current quarterback that's at Richmond High School listed as a three-star athlete in the class both of those guys will also probably join this group but really you were mainly looking at Josh Henderson the two true freshmen in DJ Jones and Elijah Green and then of course British Brooks, the soon-to-be senior walk-on in the backfield. All four got their opportunities. Who impressed you the most out of those four? I think you got to lean with Elijah Green, not because he led the, the those four guys in rushing, but, I mean, he had the longest carry outside of um, Sam Howell and Michael Porter. Mm-hmm. So he had a big run. And I think, you know, the big thing about it when you're looking at these guys is Carolina's backs are very physical. They can lower their shoulder and run through guys, mainly Javante Williams. But even Michael Porter has shown the ability to be a more uh, physical runner. You want to make sure you still have that in your backfield moving forward. Mm-hmm. Carolina has that. They've got physical runners. They've got some guys that, even though they have the speed to break out long runs, they can get those bruising yards, which this offense, you know, this offense loves to get. So, um, but I, I think I think you feel confident with Elijah Green and DJ Jones moving forward with them to be your future one two punch. Yeah, and I think Josh Henderson's definitely got that ability as well. Another guy that runs hard, um, maybe doesn't have quite the second gear that both Green and Jones have, although I think Green is probably your fastest running back. I mean, he might be the fastest guy on the team in the backfield right now. Um, So that's what I think he really brings to the table. He got a chance to show that a little bit. Then he got DJ Jones, who kind of has that nice mix, that balance, uh, which would be similar, I think, to Michael Carter. That'll be his running style. Um, but he ends up getting into the end zone as well. A lot of people really impressed with what they saw from him. Um, both guys, you know, taking over five carries uh, in the game. So that's encouraging for them to get a decent amount of snaps in this game because more than likely they will not see snaps the rest of the season. And they don't really know the situation that they've got to be prepared for. We know Michael Carter is gone. 
Yeah. We're not 100% sure on Javante Williams, but at this point, we're starting to feel more and more confident as each week goes along, and we see where he's ranking on a lot of these draft boards that they're going to have to be ready for a major role. So it was nice to see them step up. Uh, you know, some of your depth receivers, unfortunately, you didn't get to see some of your guys. Uh, Steven Gosnell wasn't able to play in the game because of injury. Um, that, that hurt because you wanted to see him out there, but Tylee Kraft got on the field, didn't get a pass thrown his way. Um, you know, a couple other guys that, you know, were playing in their senior day, had a chance to get their first career catch. Austin Chestnut catches his first career catch. So congratulations to him. Mason Lawrence had, you know, he got targeted, but unfortunately couldn't haul his pass in. The other big storyline, though, and this is the one that I want to finish up with in terms of the backup guys here, was the quarterback position. Carolina is, of course, always looking into the future. You know that Sam Howell is going to be your guy next year. But as we've seen this year and could extend into next year, we just really don't know with all the uncertainty around COVID-19. Or if, you know, Sam Howell was to get injured, which is always a possibility, you want to have a guy ready to go. They tried to get to Colby Criswell some reps. He, you know, struggled a little bit, ends up leaving the game with an injury. Jace Reuter comes in. He's, of course, going to graduate and transfer out of the program at the end of the season. Um, he comes in, looked pretty decent, but ends up fumbling, leading to a recovery for Western Carolina after a big hit on a sack. And then, of course, uh, you had Jefferson Boaz come in, throw his first pass attempt of the year. But I feel like this is a position people were really hoping they could see Criswell come in and dominate, and that wasn't really what happened. Yeah, no, I think um, if you didn't know you had Sam Howell coming back next year, you would be a little scared from what you saw on Saturday. Fortunately, that's not the case. You've got number seven going to be back in the in the shotgun next year. But Carolina's got to be prepared for if he decides to sit out to get prepared for the NFL draft because of COVID or something like that, which we just don't know right now what, what's going to look like. And I think they're not as confident as they would be had Jace Ruder decided to stay, we understand why he's leaving. We have, there's no ill, you know, ill feelings about him leaving to go play football somewhere else. Criswell has been a guy that's been often said that he fits the offense better than any quarterback on the roster, including the guy that's shattering records every time he's on the football field. And you didn't see that on Saturday. He threw a, a, a pretty bad interception, and but he left the game injured. So um, it, it stinks because this was the one game that you knew they were going to get a chance to play a lot, mm-hmm. and they left a lot to be desired. So it would be interesting to see, you know, kind of how, how they handle that moving forward as, as they get, you know, when they look into the spring, how that depth chart looks when they open up spring. One thing to take away from that is that it looks like if he I mean, is, does in fact enroll early, which we expect, Drake May might have a real chance to yeah. come in here and take that backup spot heading mm-hmm. into next year. Nothing against Criswell. I think he's going to put up a really good fight. Still an extremely talented player. This is his, remember, first career game. So not everybody is going to have quite the start that Sam Howell is. He also didn't have the top-notch guys on the field around him when he came in. But at the same time, you would have liked to see him play a little bit better. So uh, that, those are the main takeaways from the game against Western Carolina. We'll, of course, hand out our offensive and defensive players of the game. We actually didn't hand those out last week. We just had to throw them up on the screen afterwards. Offensive player of the game, we already talked about him. That's Sam Howell, uh, 20 of 23, 287, two touchdowns. As efficient as he get, that was the thing. Against Western Carolina, you expected him to put up some numbers, but to be as efficient as he was and look as comfortable as he did, that was really just very impressive in this game. And then the defensive player of the game was a guy that came in as a rotational player and just continues to thrive. And I think we need to have a little bit of a conversation here um, you know, before we turn to Miami, which is defensive end Cayman Rucker. Yeah. Seven total tackles in the game. 
he was just phenomenal and only played 23 snaps in the game. It wasn't like this guy was out there the entire time. This is what he's been doing the whole season, though. He has definitely taken advantage of the snaps that he's gotten. And to be honest, he's probably looked like one of the brighter spots on your defensive line. At this point, I think this is a question we sort of asked a little bit last year about Don Chapman at times before he took over the starting role at the end of the season. Why are we not seeing more of Cayman Rucker? We need to see him out there. And I think that needs to become evident this week against Miami. Yeah, no, he's a guy that's made the most of his opportunities every time he's been on the football field this week or, or on the football field this season. And he did it again this year, leading the team in tackles as a, as a rotational player. Um, I think he's over the season, he's earned more trust within the coaching staff. He's proven that he deserves to be on the field with some of these other guys. And it's easier to take off of Timon Fox or Kamari Fox or someone like that when he's doing what he's doing. So I think as long as he, as long as he keeps on producing, he'll be on the field because since Wake Forest, We've seen this defensive coaching staff be more willing to sub guys in and out. And you're going to need to do that on Saturday because Miami will try to wear you down physically. It looks like Rutgers is a guy that can hold his own even against a physical team like Miami's going to be. Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the keys against Miami is we'll go ahead and turn our focus towards the game against the Hurricanes this Saturday down in Coral Gables, Florida. Uh, Carolina more than likely with an opportunity in Hard Rock Stadium to earn a chance to play for the Orange Bowl. If everything goes as you would expect, which again, in 2020, you never really know, most people would expect that the ACC right now is looking at a scenario where two teams are going to be in the college football playoff, meaning that the third place team in the ACC would be the team that would take that spot. Carolina, if they win this game by ranking, would be able to take over that spot in the Orange Bowl, would become the favorite. And that would be the first time that Carolina would ever reach the Orange Bowl. They've been to some prestigious bowls before. Back in the day, of course, went to the Gator Bowl under Matt Brown. But they've been to a couple of other really prestigious bowl games. But this would be a huge step for Carolina. And I think the biggest thing that everybody's going to be focused on is can this defense sort of mask what they did against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish? This might not be as lethal of an offense, but it's still a really, really good offensive team they're facing. This is a chance for Carolina to really submit if they're back at the national level. They had a chance at Florida State earlier in the year, and they laid an egg. You had a chance against Notre Dame where you proved that you can hang with them, but you couldn't beat them. You go to Miami and you beat Miami – the feelings around Carolina football will change as a team that they're not just a pretender, they're back at a, to play at a high level. Um, I think, it, it, but, you know, it, it's not going to be easy. Miami, this is a, they're not an eight and one, and they're not a good football team. This is a really sound football team. Manny Diaz has fixed all the issues with this, that team in the second year, mainly with the quarterback play of De'Ara King. But this is, I'm not going to say it's the Miami team of old, but this is a Miami team that can run on you, they can throw on you. But they're, they're physical. You, you, you put the film on, they're going to hit you in the mouth for, for 60 minutes. And I think that's the thing with Carolina is that's what you got to wonder is, can they match that physicality for 60 minutes? Because in the games that have been the most physical, they've gotten beat. So, um, but I think that's when you look at this game, that's what you're looking at. Is this is a, this is a, you have another chance if you're to submit yourself mm -hmm. that you're back. You're 0-2 in the previous two chances. You've got a 3-30 game on ABC. You're, you're on national TV. A so lot of people yep, will be, again. the cultural club committee will be watching this game. A lot of people around the country will be watching this game. It's a good chance to make a statement for your program. Yeah, and I mean, I think that the other thing is, is when you look at this season, if they win this game, this kind of cements that it was a good season. If they don't, I think there's kind of a question. What 
what is Carolina's, what do you determine Carolina's season in 2020? A success, a failure, an average season? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know because your best win would be over NC State, a team that is, is a good football team. They're ranked. Um, you got a win over Virginia Tech, but that's a team that's four and six right now. I mean, that's going to be the big thing for Carolina. This is a chance to win this game and really cement the fact that, yeah, we're, we're going to make noise over the next couple of years in the ACC. So I think they've got to come out with that mindset. The biggest thing that everybody's going to be looking at is how do you slow down De'Ara King? There's a reason that this guy's in the running for the Davey O'Brien Trophy. He's one of the more dynamic quarterbacks in the country. I mean, he can hurt you with your legs. That's going to be the biggest thing that Carolina's got to find a way to take away because we saw it even early on in the game against Western Carolina. They had trouble slowing down a mobile FCS quarterback. Now you're going up against one of the more dynamic quarterbacks, a guy whose running style is almost similar to Kyler Murray's in the fact that he's not going to take a lot of snaps where there's going to be design runs. But when he gets out of the pocket, if something's not there, he will create with his legs and he is extremely dangerous. So Carolina's got to find that balance of being aggressive to try to go after him, but also not letting up the middle of the field and allowing him to take off and find easy runs that have hurt you at times this year, mainly in the game against Virginia that you lost earlier this season. I'm going to touch on what you said, it, what, what, what this game does for the season. You win this game, mm -hmm. you you took another step forward. Because yep, you, I agree you, with you. Know, you won more games. You won a marquee game on the road. You you achieved, you know, you, you won a state championship. So you yep. you took a step forward. You lose this game. You're kind of feeling, not not like, not like last year, but it's like that 8-4 year under Larry Fedora with Mitch Trubisky and all those guys. It was a wasted season because you had a once-in-a-generation offense. Yep. You had a lot of chances to win big-time games, and you didn't do it. And we've and, talked about the fact that Javante Williams could be gone, Deion yeah. Brown could be gone. So the 2021 team that we thought heading into the year we were going to get, which you know we said, okay, you're losing Michael Carter, you're losing Daz Newsome, but you keep Javante Williams and Deion Brown. That's that's kind of slipping away from us. So there's some nerves there. And then and we had to talk about the other day at work. You're you're running the risk of wasting Sam Howell's yeah. final career. Yep. Without winning I'm this very game. Concerned because about there's it. not yeah. you're not guaranteed to make the ACC championship game next year. You don't know what the what the football landscape will look like with COVID. You, Notre Dame may still be around, so you could run the risk of. I never, mean, Miami in the coastal right yeah, now exactly. looks like they're legit. They they so may have put things together. You're 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 on the verge of wasting. Who's going to be your most decorated quarterback ever? Probably your most decorated player ever in program history, with never really getting where you wanted to get to with this group. Right. You win this game on Saturday, that changes all that because you, you know, you you. You, you won a big game. You went on the road. You're, you're going to go play the New Year's Six Bowl. So much more things happen if you find a way to win, which is why Carolina's got to treat this as this is the biggest game of the season. Yep. This is the biggest game since Mac Brown came home. To me, this is the biggest game they've played since they played Clemson in the ACC Championship game. It's that important, and it's that big if you find a way to get a win. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And one of the areas that Carolina's going to have to get it done is in the trenches. We talked about it in the game against Notre Dame. Carolina didn't get the job done. Now that wasn't for a lack of trying. This game, you're going to have a chance to be more successful, especially with your defensive line going against their offensive line. Miami's offensive line is nowhere near the offensive line that Notre Dame has. They're a better unit than they were a year ago, for sure. But part of that is because they have such a mobile quarterback. 
But Carolina should be able to control the defensive line of scrimmage if they come out and play the way that we know they're capable of. The bigger concern, I think, is on the offensive side. We saw where Notre Dame was able to get after Sam Howell in that second half. And Carolina simply couldn't do anything. It wasn't the fact that they weren't that, that that there were bad play calls. It wasn't the fact that Carolina just you know wasn't executing when they were throwing the football. Sam Howell literally could not get the ball off. The routes could not be run fast enough for him to be able to make the pass because Notre Dame's defensive line was dominating. This defensive line that you're facing is just as good as that defensive line. They've got plenty of talent. Of course, before the season, they lost Gregory Rousseau. We thought, man, that's going to be a huge loss for them. Well, what did they do? They've got two transfers that have been great. Quincy Roche, who, of course, we all remember from last offseason when Carolina was thought to have been in the running for the Temple grad. Of course, Carolina took him on in the military bowl as well. The good news for Carolina fans in that game, he was shut down a little bit. The problem, they didn't have Jalen Phillips on the other side. Jalen Phillips is a UCLA transfer. He's a guy that, you know, came in, was a former five-star, came to Miami, and now he's re he's sort of reevaluated himself and gotten his career going again. All of a sudden, you got to prepare for what is going to be a really tough defensive line for Miami. Yeah. Um, Notre Dame was able to beat you up across the line of scrimmage. Notre, Miami's going to beat you up on your edges. And I think that's where you're worried about Carolina's. Can they hold up mainly on that left side? The right side of your offensive line hasn't been a problem. The left side of the offensive line. Well, I, I, you know what? I'm going to have to disagree with you there. I thought in the game against Notre Dame, Jordan Tucker had more trouble than Asim Richards did. Said that Richards has had his moments yeah. too, but Tucker was really exposed in that game against Notre Dame. So, I'm concerned, especially if Phillips gets matched up against him. I'm, I'm a little concerned. The problem is that it's like now you're knowing that you're going into this, you're going to have to keep a tight end in open pass protection. Mm -hmm. You know both your running backs can help you out, but you're taking out the ability to throw them the football out of the backfield. So how does Carolina counter them? The answer is simple: that you want to have a quick passing game and just get the ball out quick, but you couldn't do that against Notre Dame, and Miami's going to run two horses at you that can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the defensive line that the Fighting Irish have. So, I, but that's where this game's going to be won and lost, is at the line of scrimmage on the offensive side of the ball for Carolina. If they can hold up and give Sam Howell time, you can pick apart this defense, you can make plays downfield in the passing game, and you can run the football on this team. So, they got to be able to hold up for, for, for 60 minutes. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that you got to have a good game plan, you got to have Garrett Walson down there chipping. You got to use Devontae Williams and Michael Carter down and, and run block fits as well. So it's 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 gonna be a challenge. And the last thing that we'll talk about before we go ahead and make our predictions, another big factor in this game, and we've talked about it in a lot of the games here recently, except really that Western Carolina game. Penalties have killed this team all season. Discipline has really hurt this team. They've got to be able to eliminate the penalties in this game. Last week, weren't a lot of penalties called, but you were playing an FCS opponent. This week, you're going up against a team in Miami who we know historically Miami is a chippy team. Miami will take their penalties as well, but Carolina's got to be smart about how they handle it. If you can keep yourself disciplined and let Miami make the mistakes, then that's really going to help you go a long way to winning this football game. Miami's a chippy team. This game has become a chippy game. They've been in the ACC long enough where they have formed a kind of interdivision rivalry. With the, with one another, Carolina recruits the state of Florida very heavily, um, especially in the layperson. So you got a lot of Florida guys on the roster that take it personal that Miami didn't come and offer them the scholarship. Yep. So it comes back to your mental toughness and the accountability that the coach staff has with guys. Where if they make dumb penalties, 
You got to yank them off the field. You can't have those holding calls that wipe away touchdowns. Mm-hmm. You can't have those penalties that make third and three, third and eight. You can't have a offsides on fourth and one when they're when they're trying when you, when you need to get off the field. It's going to take Carolina's best game to win on Saturday. And I, one other thing I want to mention. Uh, getting off the field on third yeah. down, also huge. That has become more of an issue as the season has gone along. Um, Miami, again, Brevin Scott at tight end, really talented yeah. tight end. Carolina's got to find a solution. We mentioned it after the Notre Dame game. I don't know if they've got to put on an extra defensive back. Kondre Jackson's a guy that played safety in high school, was kind of a hybrid guy. He can get out and cover. Maybe, you know, again, Cameron Rosen and Sinclair was a name that I brought up, a guy that you know, from going to multiple camps, even watching him a bit at Myers Park High School, could go out, cover in space, even though he was a safety. You've got to find a solution to be able to get off the field on third down because that was your biggest problem in the game against Notre Dame. You had them where you wanted them multiple times, and you, you, you let them execute when you needed to be able to get off the field. If they're going to win this football game, your defense, even though they step up on first and second down, they have to be able to do it all three days. Yeah, and no, that's a pretty good point that the third down defense is going to be impactful for this game because the longer you're on the field, the longer Sam Howell's on the sidelines, and the more tired your defense is going to quick, or the more tired your you know your team is going to get tired quicker. Mm-hmm. And then you got to put those younger guys in where you can't protect them as much if you're just putting them in for plays here and there. So as I mentioned, it's going to take Carolina's most complete effort if they want to go on the right one on Saturday. There you go, Carolina uh, and Miami facing off. So uh, let's go ahead and make our predictions for uh, this game on Saturday. I think Miami wins. I, I, I think I think Carolina, it'll be the same thing like Notre Dame. I think they'll give them 60 minutes. I think you'll feel confident if you can play with them. I just think Miami is a little more physical than Carolina. I think the game being at home, well, even though with COVID and everything, they're not going to have the same environment. I think that'll play into it. And I, and I think they'll be able to slow down Carolina just enough to keep our offense in check and win a grinded out 24 to 20 game. Yeah, you know, Carolina's had a lot of success against Miami, especially under Larry Fedora. That was one of those teams that he just really had their number, even in some of the down seasons. Carolina still kept it competitive with the Hurricanes. This is a game that Carolina knows coming in. They have to be able to win. I think they feel sort of similar to we do in that locker room, that if they win this game, this is a step forward for the program. This is a chance to come into next year as the favorites to win the ACC Coastal if they go back to the Coastal mindset. If not, well, then you're the biggest challenger to Notre Dame again next season. That's kind of how you have to look at it. Um, I I think they're motivated. One of the other factors that I uh, didn't talk about but that I think is going to be big in this game, Carolina hasn't run the ball great the last two weeks that they've played. So they've got to be better at running the football more consistently. Put it on the ground with your guys. You've got to get at least one of your backs, I think, over 100 yards, which I think can happen in this game. You've got to be, you let Javante Williams go to work in this game. Michael Carter has been fantastic this year. He's put up great numbers. He's going to get his carries, but you need to let Javante Williams do his thing as well. Take a little bit of pressure off of that passing game early on and allow them to settle in, get that offensive line comfortable, and then allow them to be able to make the plays when they have to late in the game. I think Carolina does. I have Carolina winning this game. I think they go on the road to Hard Rock Stadium. This is a game that they know they have to win. It's against the Miami team that they feel they can beat. Last year, remember, they were underdogs at home in the first home game under Mac Brown against Miami. Found a way to pull it out. 
Carolina's got the sh- got what you need to be able to beat Miami. I think these are two very evenly matched teams, and I think Carolina has the edge at quarterback in this one. That's the reason I think they win this one. I think Sam Howell makes a play late when he needs to, and Carolina wins it 27-24. So uh, that's our predictions for uh, this game. We, uh, of course, uh, encourage you guys, uh, whether you're watching the game, that'll be on uh, at 3.30 on ABC on Saturday. Or if you're listening to the game, you can go to the Tar Heel Sports Network. Their coverage should begin an hour before the game. Jones Angel, Lee Pace, Brian Simmons, Jeff Saturday, all the guys will take you through and get you ready for uh, the game against the Hurricanes. And then, of course, they'll have coverage. It should be uh, once again. Actually, no, it should be. Shouldn't it be Jones? And it should be Brian because they're in Florida. So Brian should be on the call there as well. Uh, Lee Pace will be there uh, on the call as well. So make sure that you guys check that out. Um, and then uh, we'll wrap it up here with a couple of storylines before we get out of here on the recruiting trail. Of course, Carolina's got some big news coming up. Uh, in the 2022 class, four-star wide receiver Tychun Chapman announced that he will be making a major announcement on the 19th. Again, just trying to, you know, kind of figure some things out here. Most people would believe that more than likely this will be his commitment because uh, he did end up um, he did end up releasing a top five a couple of weeks ago. Again, not 100% sure where he's going to land at, but most of the belief is that this announcement will be a commitment or maybe even a more, a more narrowed down list. We'll just have to wait and see on that. But of course, we'll have you covered with everything on that before his announcement on the 19th. And then right before that, the early signing period, which starts on December 16th, Carolina has 18 commits in the 2021 class. All 18 are expected to sign on the first day of early signing period. Carolina still has some other targets that they are looking at, including George Wilson, who will decide on the final day of the early signing period. That'll be the 18th. But uh, again, Carolina, not really 100% sure where they're at with that. It looks like Auburn's the favorite there. Carolina has reportedly been in contact with them. Don't really know how serious of a contender Carolina is in that recruitment right now, though. So uh, they'll just have to hold on, wait and see. It'll be a very exciting time. And we'll have you covered with everything on the Heel Tough blog website. Uh, you know, Again, preview will be up there. You guys can go ahead and read that for the Miami game. Then we'll end up having the recap of the game uh, for you guys up there, followed by the trench report and the stock report. Right after the stock report goes up on Monday, we will then turn our focus towards National Signing Day. The first of the uh, of the days of the early signing period has basically become National Signing Day. That Wednesday, the 16th, will be the big day. We'll have a ton of stuff on the website. We'll also be doing some stuff here with the Heel Tough One podcast on that day. So there's a whole bunch of stuff for you guys to keep an eye out for that. So make sure that you head over to the website, heeltoughblog.com. Uh, also, uh, for the video side of things and for all of the blog articles, make sure that you are like that you like and follow the Facebook page. Uh, you can check out everything. It'll show up right on your timeline there. It'll show all the articles. And then, of course, it will give you an update whenever we are premiering a video here for the Heel Tough Blog podcast. It'll uh, show up right in your notifications tab so you know when the next edition is coming out. If you're someone that's listening to the podcast, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. The rating and reviewing helps us move up some of those rankings so that people that haven't tracked down this podcast just yet can go ahead and find it, tune in, listen, find out everything they need to know about Tar Heel football. And then, uh, of course, the subscribing is for you. Whenever you subscribe, it'll go right into your podcast feed so that anytime there is a new episode, it'll be sitting right in your podcast library. So 
turn it on, listen to So, want to thank Josh once again for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Tar Heels!